Hello and welcome to Allegory Story. My name is Melanie Nevis. And I'm Tegan Aline. And I am also here with my dog, Lena, in case you can hear her in the background panting. Sorry, guys, but she's an old baby and she wants to snuggle. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Allegory Story. (laughs) Um, Today we are going to be talking about Snow White. Snow White. Oh my gosh. So So, what's your take on this one? I would love to know. uh, Conflicted because I really liked the songs that the dwarves would sing, you know? Okay. Hi-ho is very catchy. True. Sometimes I I didn't, truthfully, I didn't really like, I was not really into Snow White. I think the dress wasn't hitting it for me. And I know that's ridiculous. I really, everything back to fashion, <laughs> but this is my world. So, um, but uh, I do occasionally just wander around singing hi-ho. Like sometimes when I'm walking, sometimes when See? I'm like doing dishes. And you're in the countryside. So I feel like it's really, it, it hits home for you. We could go into that bat cave singing hi-ho next time I come to visit. <laughs> Yeah, and sometimes Michael also has a pickaxe with him over his shoulder while we're walking, and, and it just and a little bindle, right? Like yeah. a little bindle. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. I liked that aspect of it. I was kind of creeped out by the fact that there are these seven old men. Weird, right? That like help her out. I understand what you're saying about the dress. I think that's also the time that it came out, but we'll get into that a little bit more. A thousand percent. The dress is not (laughs) important. Just for me as a child, I think that's how I base things. Like, is it pretty? Then I like it. Yeah. For me, the colors were just too primary. (laughs) Oh, so what did you think about Belle's dress? Beauty and the Beast. Uh, That's a different different story. Um, I don't know. Okay. I don't know if we have. I guess it was more gold than yellow. No, we didn't do Beauty and the Beast. But I guess I guess it's supposed to be more. Yeah, we could do it. I like it. Time. I think Beauty and the Beast dress is more like gold. Yeah. And for that reason, I really love her dress. And I actually really like that story. I don't know why we don't have it on the list of things to cover. Maybe we should make a note of that. Yeah. I mean, well, there's so many fairy tales that I think we're We're going to do the episodes that we have planned for this, and then we can always revisit fairy tales at another time or do a Patreon episode on it. So for those of you that are listening, our Patreon is set up, and you can check it out. Um, Check out the details in the description. It's not Um, set up yet, but it's going to be by the time this Well, it'll be set up when this airs. So yeah, check out the description. (laughs) Like, fingers crossed, just in case we don't get there. Um, Lena's tangled up in the course. (laughs) Oh, no. Pushing my baby. Um, uh, okay, I think she's okay now. <laughs> she's just like, I'm just going to get mixed up under your desk. Anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah, so you weren't really a huge fan Mm-mm. then of Snow um, No. No, I don't know. I I don't know. I just never got into it. I was, okay, so like, I, um, for reference, I'm a 1986 baby. And I guess I was watching these Disney movies when I was a kid. So probably like 87, 88, 89, 90. And um, I don't know. Snow White just never hit for me. I don't know why. But I often associate it to, I often associate it to Germany for some reason. I don't really know why. I always thought it was a fairy tale that came from there. Is that a good segue? Ah, well, (laughs) it is. Uh, But let's... (laughs) 
So let's go into just the, the plot of the Disney version for those of you who may have forgotten because it's been a while. Uh, it's set to into motion when a vain and wicked queen consults her magical mirror. We all know the line, um, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Mm-hmm. And learns that her beautiful stepdaughter, Snow White, is now the fairest in the land. And she is instantly resentful. Um, the queen enlists a woodsman to murder Snow White, but he can't commit the act and kind of urges her to escape. And in the forest, Snow White discovers a cottage that's inhabited by seven eccentric dwarves. Eccentric dwarves. I love that. (laughs) I mean, how else would you describe them? No, exactly. Yeah, very that. (laughs) (laughs) They warmly welcome her into their home after she offers to cook and clean for them. Right. And the queen eventually learns of Snow White's whereabouts disguises herself as an old hag and fatally poisons her stepdaughter with a tainted apple. Heartbroken dwarves kind of stand guard over the girl's body. And then a handsome prince comes and restores her to life with a kiss. Hmm. So. Who um, is this guy? Where did he come from? The question (laughs) that is the universal question of every prince in one of these stories. Um, I Side note, I just want to preface, mm-hmm. um, I think we might have said it in uh, the earlier podcasts, but the reason we tend to start, I think, with the the Disney versions is because that's the versions we grew up with when we were yeah, young. Like, that was our first introduction. So we love to get into all of the other stuff, but uh, that's why we're usually starting with that. We're not like hardcore Disney fans or anything necessarily. No, 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 but no. We were Disney children. Like we grew up with those movies so um on on vhs yes exactly and as <laughs> as just a quick side note like out of curiosity what are your favorite disney movies oh shoot okay uh oh broad Ooh, that's so hard listen like growing up what was your favorite like oh, growing up or now yeah okay growing up growing up my favorite disney movies were cinderella it it was mm-hmm. huge for me um Definitely was my favorite by far. Bed knobs and broomsticks, which is like half animated and half um, half like film live action with um, Angela Lansbury. This oh. is like one of my absolute favorites. It's not like a super famous Disney one. It's like more like no, it's not just like low key, but. But people who know it, know it. It's the bomb. It's amazing. (laughs) Um, Those two, I think, were like my favorites. Oh, and also Aladdin. I loved Aladdin. Aladdin, when I was a bit older and like the newer, at the time, the newer Disney movies were coming out. Yeah. Aladdin was like the one for me. I was obsessed with Jasmine. I wanted to own a tiger. I thought Aladdin was like the cutest guy I ever saw in my life. (laughs) Such a crush on him. I loved that he was like, like, like street smart and stuff. I loved, I loved everything about Aladdin. I was obsessed with Aladdin. I loved Aladdin and Lion King. Those were my top two. And Honestly, so Aladdin for all the reasons you said, but also the music, like the songs were so good in so both good. of those movies. So, they were so, so, good. so good. Yeah. It was and amazing. yeah, those, those were my top two, but. So Aladdin let's, and let's Lion turn King. It back. Yeah. Lion King is yeah. such a good one too, damn. It's really good. Such a good one. Yeah. I don't know why I could never get into the, the movies that were all animals. Like I had to have people in them. 
with an animal. Well, Lion King was all animal. Yeah, but (laughs) but like in Lion Lion King um, was like for me, I liked it, but I didn't get into it like super hard. I think like I was I was a Disney princess girl. Like I was attached to princesses. I I can't lie. Fair. (laughs) I was not. I was like more of a tomboy, and so. Yeah. No. Yeah. Different. See, I was the opposite. <laughs> I've been like super, I'm like hyper feminine out of the womb. I didn't do it on purpose. This is just <laughs> like how I've always been, but I'm sure, I'm sure this stuff like didn't help. You know what I mean? With all that being said, <laughs> I love looking at all of these stories because it kind of also helps me understand like the reality behind some of these tropes, like I was looking at pretty mm-hmm. dresses, but there was like so much more going on than than that. Um, and There's the so one much more. Thing- in the- yeah, Sorry, yeah. <laughs> oh, good. No, it's okay. No, I was just gonna say, like, even when we were growing up, like the societal norms were very, especially different than the way yeah. that they are now. Like, there is change yeah. there that is actively God, happening, it's and it's yeah. visible. But at that time, it was still very segregated, like gender stereotypes were very set in stone and firm and like just stereotypes in general. We've got stereotypes now. They are a bit different to what they were at that point. Some are still the same, but (laughs) in terms of gender, I think gender norms are changing for sure. I love that we now live in a world where anybody can love a princess. And like their dresses. Like that's how I feel about it. But the last thing I'll say on Disney movies is um, in this moment in my life, uh, my favorite movie I think Disney ever made was Moana. This movie is like a revelation mm-hmm. to me. I will watch it and Moana I will cry every fucking time. I love the the plot. I love the story. Anyways, let's get back to <laughs> yeah, Snow Moana's White. We're going way back in time. To this okay. was like one the first Disney princess movie, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. So okay, sorry. <laughs> the Tale of Snow White <laughs> is uh, some scholars argue that it's a Grimm Brothers original in its written oh. form. It was <gasps> first really? published. Yeah, and I'm going to butcher the German pronunciation right now. So we're not apologies. Um, <laughs> uh, Snowbitten. In their book in 1812, so early 19th century, the tale contained many elements that we know and love today. So it includes the magic mirror, the poisoned apple, glass coffin, Mm. the characters of the evil queen, as Mm. well as the seven dwarves. And that was just their first publication. Uh, They do publish it repeatedly and elements change and soften in later publications. Right. They were too rough for mainstream media. Even then. then. The dwarves didn't actually have names until the story was brought to Broadway in 1912. And I always think of the dwarves and you kind of think of them that the names are in your head in the same way that Santa's reindeer are in your head. Like you kind of just remember them. But But at that point, they had a Broadway show. Yeah. I had no idea. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So 1912, it was brought to Broadway. Wow. And then they named the dwarves. So we know them as Doc, Grumpy, Happy, Sleepy, Bashful, Sneezy, and Dopey. And then, and I got to say, those names are a lot better because they were called Blick, Flick, Glick, Snick, Plick, Wick, and Quee. Holy crap. It's like the original (laughs) Snap, Crackle, Pop kind of situation. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I so <laughs> it's a tongue twister. <laughs> it's a tongue twister. It's yeah. a tongue twister. Um, the Broadway show was a huge success. 
and Ooh. became the basis for the 1916 silent film Snow White. So there was a black and white wow. silent film. Wow, fascinating. That's yeah. Cool. The same actress that was on Broadway playing Snow White was also the same actress playing Snow White on um, in the silent film. And that film was seen by a certain 15-year-old. Any guesses who? Was it Walt Disney? Yeah. I was right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) I mean. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so Walt Disney saw the silent film and was inspired to recreate the story in its animated form years later. So Snow White comes out in 1937. Walt Disney produced this with a mostly borrowed budget of one and a half million, Whoa. which in 1937, a lot of money, a very huge sum of money. The equivalent today is about 31.6 million. Holy and shit. yes, movies cost a lot more than that now, but for mm-hmm. the time that was insane. And the animated feature uh, was a huge success. Like it was a critical, like commercial success. It took more than $8 million in its initial release. It's so, so. funny. Cause I was like, cause one of the things that like, I wasn't attracted to what, even in the eighties as a kid, I was like, the animation is kind of just like, mm. yeah. <laughs> but it just goes to show like, you don't know. And Mm-mm. especially when we get into art, like that's a whole conversation for another time. But I mean, like, the amount of work and effort that probably went into that for some stupid yes. little like four year old, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just I like, don't like it. <laughs> this dress is not for me, <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs> wow, so, that's like, wild. It yeah, and so when you look at the animation and you see how different it is from other Disney films that we may have grown up with you realize that the animation didn't really change. When we were watching it, it was still like the same 1937 animation. Um, So that is probably why you don't like the dress's style. You don't like the colors that are used. Like it was just a very different period. And I'm not trying to shade it or anything. No, no, no. But you like what you like and you don't like what you don't like. Especially when you're young. Yeah. 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 There's no nuance Um, when you're four or five. (laughs) No. Absolutely not. It should be, but there's uh, not. <laughs> there's not. You're a kid. What do you know? <laughs> yeah, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> um, for many, many years, Snow White was the world's highest grossing animated film. So it's not anymore, but it's still in the top 200s. When you think of how many animated films have actually come out since then, yeah. that's pretty astonishing. Yeah. Um, so let's take a look at Walt Disney himself. He was actually quite religious. Really? Uh, yeah. I don't, know, I don't know anything about this guy other than that he's like cryogenically frozen or something. And he's shady. <laughs> and the whole of Disney is like, I don't know, corrupt. I don't know. I don't know. I know, I know nothing. I know nothing. <laughs> this is what I've heard. Well, so we're not going to delve too far into his character. Yeah, we can't. Like, we can't. We can't. Um, in 1949... He wrote, I was grounded in old-fashioned religious observance. My people were zealous members of the Congregational Church in our hometown. My father, Elias Disney, was a contractor, built our local church, and was a deacon of the congregation. I was baptized there and attended Sunday school regularly. I believe firmly in the efficacy of religion and its powerful influence on a person's whole life. 
It helps immeasurably to meet the storm and stress of life and to keep you attuned to divine inspiration. Without inspiration, we would perish. Okay, well, I agree with that last part. I don't know about everything else. (laughs) Yes, um, inspiration. I get it. I get where people are coming from, especially at that time in relation to religion. Yeah, yeah, and I think, I mean, for some people, I have a very conflicting view of religion. I grew up Roman Catholic myself and like... Fanzies, yeah. Yeah, I, I understand that, you know, for some people, they really need to believe in that specific yeah power let's yeah. say yeah that specific doctrine and and as long as no one's hurting anybody I don't care you believe whatever you want to believe just don't try and shove it down anyone else's throat and be nice to each other yeah <laughs> that's I basically a, I I've had like my views on the church like I grew up Roman Catholic as well um like even my daycare was Roman Catholic (laughs) and uh you know I was Roman Catholic and also went when I was 13 I was confirmed and then I went to Roman Catholic high school and very promptly uh became a witchcraft practitioner (laughs) (laughs) which which I thought was like super defiant at the time like I felt really bad and guilty doing it but I was like really called to it and now as Mm -hmm. an adult I kind of look at it and I'm like oh well in a sense like that duality is very Catholic so (laughs) it really wasn't so out of touch it was just out of touch in the the North American spectrum of things you know (laughs) Yeah, I think that my my kind of aha moment came when, again, I I was also confirmed. Um, But, you know, I went to public school, but then would go to Sunday school aside from that. And in public school, you're constantly told to question everything and to ask why and to really delve in and investigate. Mm. So I was that annoying child and the Sunday school people like they hated the, the public school kids they did not like us there was very few of us I think like six Shady. and they did not like us and I was constantly there asking questions and trying to get explanations and proof because that's what you're told in public school like you have to dig deep to find the proof and you need evidence and I was just told to have this blind faith And it caused enough trouble one day. And I honestly, I don't know if it was just because I asked why too many times or if I asked a specific question that irked the priest the wrong way, but he called my parents to come and pick me up early um, because he just wasn't having it. And that that was my aha moment where I was just like, I don't know how I feel about this. (laughs) You guys suck. (laughs) That's so wild and amazing and good for you. I mean, like I grew up, I, I was always in Catholic school until I went to college and, um, I always felt like it was a pretty good system and I was pretty happy with it. Um, but I mean, uh, like I, we actually kind of grew up being scared of like public school kids. I don't, I don't really know why, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, I think it's so much, I think, as an adult now thinking about having kids in the future, I'm like, I would want my kids to question things. I think questioning things like the minute people tell you to cut your questioning off is it's mm-hmm. like a huge red flag that in my opinion, yeah. um, and, and you I never think- know what answers you're going to get. Right. But you should be able to ask yeah. the question. I think. Exactly. So I think that if you want to believe something, that's fine. I think that 
constantly holding blind faith can be dangerous, as we've seen throughout history. Yeah. Um, Nowadays, but- they just call it a cult, right? <laughs> I know. It's actually always been called Can't that. Can't wait anyway. to talk about those. Can't wait to talk about those. Okay. Yeah, so. yeah we'll get into that. Okay, like back <laughs> to Walt Disney. Back to that's- it. Back to it. So to me, oh, this funny. shows Disney's faith in God was not only one segment of who he was as a person, but it really influenced everything he did. And there are aspects of this that can be seen to come through Snow White as we know it today. It can also be Mm. seen in the Brothers Grimm versions, because Mm. at the time that they were writing, the German population was mainly Protestant, specifically Lutheran, Mm. and about a third was Catholic. So Christianity is hidden throughout this tale. And to me, Snow White is actually a story about creation, the fall, death, resurrection and salvation and her Ah. stepmother uh uh-huh her stepmother can be seen as the figure of the devil especially like when you think about the serpent in the garden of eden snow white was Mm. an eve type in the story Mm. so let's take a look at the image of eve yeah so brothers grimm's snow white is innocent she is a child in the story she is seven years old she is not she's she is not Yeah, she's not that young adult of like 15, 16. Like she is a child. She is seven years old. And that is the age of reason, I guess. And when the mirror tells the queen that Snow White is now the fairest in the land, um, after Snow White flees for her life, she lives with seven dwarves. The queen comes to tempt her and it's by biting the apple that she dies and the dwarves keep watch over her for three days. Mm -hmm. And then she sleeps for a long time until the son of a king comes to rescue her and she is resurrected from the dead. So the numbers that are repeated in the story there are their numbers seven and three. Mm -hmm. And those are really big numbers in a lot of religious traditions. Biblical context yeah that they are definitely biblical numbers yeah do you know do you happen to remember what they stand for well I think the seven is like the days it takes to create the earth and yes the three is the three days like the no maybe that's not right I was gonna say the days between Jesus dying and resurrecting and like coming back to life am I right yeah Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, Bible scholars claim, like the biblical scholars claim God created the world in six days and used the seventh day to rest. And because of this, seven is representative of a full and complete world throughout the Bible. Mm -hmm. And the number three biblically represents divine wholeness and completeness and perfection. So if there were a desire to highlight an idea or a thought, a noteworthy figure in the Bible, um, the number three was kind of used to put a divine stamp of completion or fulfillment on the subject. But you're right. It also is like the number of days that it took for him to be resurrected. Right. Oh, yeah. It's also Father, Son, Holy Spirit, too. Like, yeah, three Trinity. is a very, yeah, yeah. It's okay. a very, yeah. So you see the numbers seven and three repeated a lot in the story. Mm. Um, the Queen of Envy, we have our lovely evil queen. So pride and envy are the sins that demons can commit directly because other sins require a body. Pride and envy don't. So they're Mm. pure spirits. And right away, um, we can see that the queen is filled with both of these vices with her whole mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of them all. It's a sign of her vanity. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
so I've always thought a little vanity never hurt anybody, but that's just a little vanity. (laughs) Just a little bit. You don't want to murder someone for being prettier than you. (laughs) No, that's definitely, there's a line way before that line, but that's also a hard line. Yeah. Like no murder. Much less a child. Much less a child. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. So she has this looking glass that always tells her the truth, but all she does is seek to be admired by her. For, for her appearance and yeah she seeks to destroy a seven-year-old child um when you look at the huntsman in snow white uh she sends out the huntsman to kill her mm-hmm. uh, specifically to pierce her innocent heart and jesus in the bible had his heart pierced by a centurion yeah. and you have images of innocence like there's a duality of innocence there with snow white and jesus in that case um Ooh. Snow White being completely innocent causes the snow, or not the snow, um, the huntsman, (laughs) to repent and let her go. And in the Grimm's version, he describes the response as, like, the way he felt after, as it seemed as if a stone had been rolled from his heart. What do you think that refers to? Mm, Is it a biblical thing again? Yeah, it is a biblical thing again. Is it like the stone being rolled away from the cave type thing? Yes. Yeah. Because only when it was rolled away from the cave was Jesus resurrected, right? Right, right. So that's a very clear allusion to the Bible. That's that right? Catholic like upbringing right there. <laughs> a stone rolls from his heart. It's a reference to the resurrection of Christ. Um, I know. So, so wild. Had, That's so interesting. I know. So, so like, wait. these are the bib- Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just, I have a question, but maybe I'll wait. Yes. I'll wait and I'll ask. Yeah. That. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so he allows her to go free and she ends up in the home of dwarves. Uh, dwarves, this, this one is interesting. It's an interesting parallel. Dwarves live and work underground, which is where the dead are, mm-hmm. but death in the story is also like a potential wisdom. Yeah. And, and God who is wisdom himself is the author of life. And so he rules over death. Mm-hmm. So okay. there's like an encounter with death in the story and going to the place of the dead is what Jesus did after he died on the cross. Right. And then when he rose again from the place of the dead. So, he conquered death and snow white essentially there's like a parallel of snow white going and staying with these people who like lived their world underground okay so like oh that's so interesting oh that's mm -hmm. so cool and weird and Mm -hmm. i never would have put these two stories together like as i know coming from a similar place but yeah that's wild so what's interesting chicken or the egg here is like what i wonder I guess the biblical what story do you mean by- comes first. Well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Biblical story comes first like and and this in its own weird way has a lot of references to it. Um but they were Christian and you know, um the Grimm brothers were German. Oh. It is a German story. Okay, um, so the Grimm brothers were Catholic Christian? 
or they were I don't know if they were Catholic. The majority of Germans at the time were Protestant, but okay. still Christian. Okay. Um a third was Catholic. So I don't know um like Protestants still believe in Christ. Yeah, right, 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 right. Okay. So yeah. my question is why does mm-hmm. like if this is the parallel, why does it become a woman? Because you don't see that happening so much where no. uh, um, a protagonist that's a man, especially like a man like Jesus, <laughs> becomes mm-hmm. a woman. So like, how does that happen? That was my question. Um, there. <laughs> so I'm almost there. Okay, sorry. I'm shit. almost there. Hang, no, no, no. Hang tight. Hang tight. Because we're going to do the biblical thing and then we're going to go into the historical thing instead. Okay, sorry, 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 sorry. No, no, no. It's a good question. It's a good question. I like your line of thinking. Okay, cool. Um, (laughs) It's fun. I love learning. (laughs) And then uh, in Snow White, the wicked stepmother tries to kill her three times. The third time is with the poison apple. And when she eats the apple, just as Eve eats the forbidden fruit. Right, 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 right. You know, Mm -hmm. she has that. She she has that death moment. uh, And the dwarves have a wake for her for three days. They can't bear to actually put her in the ground. So the happily ever after, of course, comes the son of a king who's never actually called a prince in the Brothers Grimm, uh, sees her and falls in love with her. And the prince is this symbol of Christ as well. So like, Mm. it's interesting because, yeah, Snow White kind of plays this role of Eve, but has a lot of parallels to Christ. Mm-hmm. But the prince is the symbol of Christ because he's kind of the one who saves her. He's her savior in a way. Oh, interesting. That's he so clear- interesting. carries the glass coffin into his father's house. On the way, she coughs up the apple that was stuck in her throat and is resurrected. Now, how she coughs up the apple is actually hilarious in the Grimm's <laughs> versions because in one version, the servants are like they're carrying like he's the the prince is ordering them to carry this glass coffin everywhere he goes, like room to room. Come with me. And they're getting tired, and in one of them, the servants accidentally drop her, and that's what dislodges the apple. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one, the servants are so fed up. They're so fed up that, like, they start smacking her face, and that's what dislodges the apple. Bitch! <laughs> <laughs> they smack her face, and one accidentally kind of, like, punches her in the throat while they're at it. And then she just, like... <laughs> like, you stupid and like they're smacking a seven-year-old um oh my god i forgot she was seven years old i'm thinking of like an adult woman oh my god that's so no why are they mad at her she's dead and poisoned she's dead but they're like they're like fucking hell like they have to carry her around they're you know she's seven she's I know, and they're taking their frustrations on the dead small girl yeah, instead of the that's prince that could probably that's have him killed. It's dark in its own way. It's, it's dark in its own way. The more <laughs> I hear, like, the little... I can't wait to do this piece on, on Grimm specifically, because the more I hear the little snippets from those... Like, I read all these stories when I was little, because I have, like, the collection of Grimm fairy tales when I was young. Yeah. But the more I listen to the little snippets of that as an adult, I'm like, these guys, I actually appreciate their take on things a lot actually it was honest in a lot of ways for fairy tales anyway yeah in some yeah. dark really dark ways 
Um, but yes, yeah, so she coughs up the apple that was stuck in her throat and is resurrected. And the Grimm's brothers actually say that this third time that this happens, that she was resurrected. The dwarves kind of saved her previously, and they say that she was resuscitated. But the third time, she was actually dead, and they say that she was resurrected instead. So that okay. specific word, with it being her time, is a very clear um, draw from, you know, Jesus' story. And then they marry and live happily ever after, but that is the story arc. Like, it's very much the creation, the fall, salvation. That's so interesting. It's no way. Wow. I know. And I guess it would, it would make sense, I guess, to incorporate like a little bit of, you know, like biblical reference in some ways into stories because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people like start out with the, the biblical stories first, right? Exactly. So like there's some parallels or there's some similarities that make it feel safe and like maybe less pegging because I think like yeah. in medieval Europe, it was a hot moment. People, There was a lot of fear going around <laughs> in relation to, to, to that kind of thing. Exactly. And so towards the question that you had asked of like, why is the protagonist then a a woman? And why is there this relation, like correlation of her being like this Eve-like character, but also um, having a lot of references to Christ herself. Mm -hmm. So there may be upwards of like 400 versions of Snow White. The oldest may be a medieval Norse saga written in the 12th century by a poet named Snorri Sturluson, um, which sets the tale in the time of Harold Fairhair in the ninth century. Mm-hmm. But they're quite different. So the, the saga and the German tale share some similarities in the sense that there is like this beautiful girl, there's a prince, they fall in love, she dies, but that's kind of where the similarities end. And the two stories are super different. There's no poisoning, no apples, no wicked stepmother, no dwarves. So if the Norse tale is the origin, how did the other elements end up in the German version of the tale? Is it like you have to ask, is it the product of an unknown storyteller's imagination or is the German fairy tale somewhat rooted in historical fact? Yeah, this is kind of what I was just thinking, because as we've been like learning about these stories the stories that seem to, um, I don't know, for me, in my opinion, what I'm feeling so far is the stories that tend to have um, more of a connection to like, when I think of them, I think of Germany, for example, I said that for Snow White, I think of it for Little Red Riding Hood as well. Um, They seem to track into these like Norse mythologies from like the Scandinavian countries. And then on the flip side to that, a lot of the like ones we've looked at that were really ended ended up um, kind of being tracked through Italy and France tend to have a connection to like Greek and Roman history. So it's really interesting how that's happening so far anyways. And I know they overlap and intercept, but like, they do. Yeah. And so there may be there may be truth to it having origins in this Norse tale, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of scholars that actually suggest that Snow White uh, lies in a more modern history with um, it, it's basically based on a real royal beauty named Margarita von Weldeck. 
Margarita was a daughter of Philip IV of Wildeck and Wildengen mm-hmm. and his first wife, Marguerite. And so he lived from 1493 to 1574. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at the 16th century. Mm-hmm. Uh, Margarita was born in 1533 and they lived near a small town in northwestern Germany. She was the second daughter of the couple and her mother died when she was only four years old. And there is a surviving portrait of Margarita, which shows her wearing this beautiful dress, um, but she is a dark-haired beauty mm. with fair skin, uh, ruby lips, rosy cheeks, Fine. the same way that Snow White is often described is how Margarita was described and how she actually kind of looks in this portrait. I bet you would like so, that dress more. <laughs> <Probably>. <laughs> After her mother's death, her father married again, and his new wife was Katharita von Hatzfield, and she was also a noble woman. Von Hatzfield? What a name. Von Hatzfield, I know. Okay. Von von Hatzfeld? Von Hatzfeld? I don't know. Um, So she got a stepmother. Margarita got a stepmother, and, you know, the facts about the relationship are kind of lost to time, but we can assume that they didn't really get along when she was about... 16 or 17 she left home okay and she was sent away so it was 1550 when she was sent away but she didn't leave her home like they sent her away to brussels they sent her to live in a different country far at that point it's like two exactly her her father had a specific objective in mind my daughter needs a suitable husband yeah word (laughs) welcome to medieval times (laughs) yeah so she arrives in brussels Her beauty causes quite the sensation and she settles and attracts the attention of the future King Philip of Spain, King Philip II of Spain. Um, So at this time, Mm. he's still just the prince. And the legends tell us that Philip fell in love with her and she fell in love with him and he wanted to marry this girl from Germany. Is it going to get dark? It's going to get dark. Is it? I don't know. Yeah, but this is the real story. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. This is the real story. Um, so, so uh, Philip, like many other royals who sit on thrones, are expected to marry for political reasons. They're not expected to marry for love or oh, infatuation. Right. Yeah, that's right. If love enters a marriage of convenience, then that's a benefit. That's like a great benefit. But one should never expect that to be the case. Um, the union was forbidden by Philip's father because the oh. king didn't see any political value of the marriage. Oh boy! And yeah. Marguerite okay. had mm. nothing meaningful to offer Philip by way of political alliance. So, someone... I kind of, I kind of understand that, like in context of the time, I don't agree with it. Yeah, like on an emotional level. Yeah, that's so bad. That's so sad. That like I, I will never <laughs> understand that about royalty. Anyway. I know. Someone who wanted to protect Prince Philip and his future throne, perhaps to harm Marguerite as well, made sure that no marriage would ever take place between the prince and the beauty from Germany. Um, We don't know exactly what happened. Maybe Philip's father, who was king of Spain at the time, um, who was also dead set against this romance, got one of his men to murder her, but no one really knows the truth. All we know is that while still living in Brussels, Marguerite became extremely ill. 
And people who knew her thought that she had been poisoned. And she was Mm. actually writing her last letters uh, like with a very shaky hand and ended up dying at the age of 21. So young. Yes. Things just start to get good at 21. (laughs) I know. So assuming that Margarita was poisoned, who did it? I mean, like, realistically, uh, it's not her wicked stepmother. Yeah. Uh, Her stepmother had died years beforehand. So a lot of people will say, like, maybe it was the stepmother from afar. It wasn't. She was already dead. Um, It's likely that people in Spanish court poisoned her to keep her from marrying the king. And while it is unlikely that it was like a poison apple as the uh, the weapon of choice um there seems to be evidence that that part made its way into the tale because there's some evidence that a man living in wildengen actually gave poisoned apples to children oh. who he expected or suspected were stealing from him oh, so that okay. might be how mm. like the poison apple specifically ended up in the German fairy tale. Right. That and like, what sense. a dick that man was. Yeah, that's a dick <laughs> move. But I mean, so- it, it, it like also doesn't surprise me for the time either. Like what we were talking about yesterday, like children are not children at this time. They're not considered mm-hmm. like the way we consider children now. Of but it is not, a, but- a huge dick move. It's and a huge dick move. The other thing I was going to say is I haven't gone deep down the rabbit hole of Spanish history yet, but from everything that I know of medieval Spanish <laughs> history, these guys were like <clears throat> shady balls. <laughs> well, they started shady. the Inquisition, man. Like there's Spanish history is dark. It is yeah. dark. Oh, I actually have some really interesting information on that, but we'll save that for a different set of podcasts. (laughs) Yes, please. Yeah. Um, So that is kind of the the real origin or the tale that it seems to have borrowed from. And it makes sense because it is a German princess. Yeah. And and they are German. um, There's a lot of other things that happen in and around the area that Margarita would have grown up in Germany. Mm -hmm. Besides just the poisoned apples, like you think about the dwarves and Mm -hmm. who the heck could those have been. This is also really sad. So Marguerite's brother, first her father, then her brother inherited it. But they owned copper mines in Wildengen, which was employed by children. Yeah. Who worked 12-hour days because child oh, labor was a thing. Oh, shame. And crawl spaces oh. and mine seams and shafts were frequently so small that only children could get through them. And due to the type of work, the lack of nutrition, uh, their growth was stunted. Their spines would be curved. So they were often referred to oh. as dwarves. Oh, And it's also no. thought that the mine gases, yeah, prematurely grade their hair. And the workers would live in small cottages that would house multiple people at a time, like up to 30 occupants. And most of these kids would be dead before the age of 20. This is so dark and so fucking sad. And like the more we touch on the Brothers Grimm, I actually think even though their stories are kind of dark, I'm kind of starting to understand them as like 
sweet people actually in a way (laughs) which I'll break into when I talk about Little Red Riding Hood and why I'm thinking that right now but this is my immediate feeling because interesting yeah because they like well just even in this example of these if these kids if that was really happening in a way through their story they turn them into something of, of like clearly these kids were were not um cared enough about so like in the story yeah. if they become like the seven dwarves then they become a bit more cared for like look how many people just like absolutely like love the seven dwarves now you know what i mean in yeah. a way it's like their spirits kind of get get some kind of love in the end oh it's so sad that's heartbreaking it was just a byproduct of the time but um that is probably how the dwarves actually found their way into the story so it's interesting to see this overlap of like you know there's a lot of christian elements and religious elements but uh snow white in particular you know maybe there's something that started in the norse realm but it's this in particular is very much a German tale and yeah. you know Brothers Grimm got their works from other places you know like they there are Italian and French people who would wrote, write first yeah. and then they would create darker versions but this actually seems to be based in German history a lot of the time with a biblical element thrown in I actually feel like their versions are more honest in a lot of ways even yeah. if they're darker and sadder, they're more honest. And I, and thinking about the fact that they were kind of, and most of the versions we talk about leading up to this are like 16th century. And then they come in in, in the 1800s. So I guess that's mm-hmm. like the 19th century. No, 19th. Yeah. Um, and start writing this. It feels like an attempt to be like more real about mm-hmm. fairy tales, which is kind of like... I don't know. Is that even a thing? But they do come from real things. There's real stories. I don't know. I'm really genuinely starting to appreciate them on a whole new level, to be honest. They do. And, you know, a lot of the stories that they recorded, they did still go around and talk to people and amalgamate these tales that were told orally. Like, so it's not like they may not have even written Snow White. It may have just started from this queen or sorry, from this princess. Mm -hmm. And then there were tales in and around that specific area of Germany. And it kind of all blended together orally before they even got to it. So, you know, we don't really know. So, you know, this is uh, just thinking of what you're, we're saying. And a lot of the stories we've covered so far, I think all the stories we've covered up till this point have been about princesses. And, um, like we grew up in around the same time. So I'm pretty sure you would remember the time where guys used to refer to girls as princesses. It wasn't like that long ago, mm-hmm. but when a guy it really was, wasn't, yeah. when a guy was referring to a girl as a princess, it meant that she was like, tra-la-la, look at me. I'm fine. People do mm-hmm. everything for me. I get whatever I want. Like that was like, it was like an insult to be called a princess. And that shit always pissed me off because I was like, Uh, princesses have been murdered they've been used they've been sold they've been like traded forever Mm -hmm. and you're trying to like degrade like downgrade it to like a girl who gets people to get her whatever she wants it just it's kind of always infuriated me (laughs) that is language for you I mean like Mm -hmm. 
Uh, there's a specific word that comes to mind of the female anatomy that is used to describe people who are wimps. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Puss in boots. That specific... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that specific part of the female anatomy pushes babies out. I'm pretty sure they're a lot stronger. Like, yeah. that is a lot stronger yeah. than any male equipment. <laughs> yeah, just really. Just saying. Just saying. So, you know, it's another classic language is we live in a patriarchal society. Language is very patriarchal. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's a perfect example of it. And so it doesn't surprise me that Cinderella and princesses and everything like that, you know, it doesn't surprise me that that word princess is seen in a derogatory way or like can be viewed or like even negatively. um or like even um, shoot, I had a good train of thought, but I lost it. Damn it! Okay, I'll get it back later. Anyway, um, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's just wild when you actually like recount these stories. And I think for so long, a lot of this um, kind of exploration of stories. Now, okay, in our modern times, like like in our lifetime, and even in the lifetime before ours, there have been women exploring these from like a more like feminist lens, or there's people exploring all of these stories from different lenses. Um, But it's relatively new in that sense. Mm -hmm. But I actually like that's part of why I'm actually also feeling for Brothers Grimm, I feel like in a way they're trying to be a bit more like have a different perspective in their storytelling, which I think is really, really cool. But this is fascinating. I had no idea that there was like a potential real historical connection, a biblical connection. Like it's really, it's really, really wild how stories kind of transfer and, you know, kind of pass around and they follow for so long. And like these stories we're talking about in this series are like really old. (laughs) They're like really, really old. And yet they're still really predominantly with us and they keep being reinterpreted, reinterpreted, reinterpreted in new ways. And it's, it's really, really wild. So, okay. Ultimately then, like my question is, what is the, is there supposed to be a moral of this story? Like don't eat apple. (laughs) It's not Well, I guess if you're looking at the moral, then it's it's the biblical thing to live your life in a good way. Christ is a savior. Like that's kind of the moral that passes down, I suppose, Mm -hmm. Um, because other than that, I don't necessarily like, you know, don't be vain. Um, Oh, yeah. Don't let your vanity get the best of you. That that kind of comes through. Um, Oops. I think that that's that's the moral. But other than that it was like based in legend and stories that were told in that area and was just kind of given a christian twist i think think it's something to say like like i said in in the beginning of this episode i considered that i've been hyper feminine most of my life um <laughs> really like I was wearing high heels and dresses to school in like grade six when everybody else was like wearing running shoes and track shirts and they were like, what the fuck are you doing? And I was like, I don't know, I'm being me, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> but I think there's something to be said because, um, when I was younger, I did gravitate to princesses and the older I get and the more experience I've had in my life, the more I see myself in terms of like the more villainous characters, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> and, I, and I 
Not that I act in a villainous way, but it's like when you have age and maturity, you look at things differently. And I don't, I would never like look at a seven-year-old and like want to hurt them, for example. Not that kind of villain, but like in the sense of you have an understanding of the world that's like heavier, it's different, it's sometimes darker. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times you're looking at men kind of pissed off, like a lot of the female... (laughs) (laughs) villains are so sometimes I can relate and I think it's just like just that idea in itself is like pretty big that you can go from thinking in this one way to thinking this other way in the the course of a a lifetime in the feminine identity you know what I mean yeah like there's always two sides to every coin Mm. um I think that in this particular instance, you know, it was probably the Spanish court that killed Margarita, but the evil stepmother trope that we kind of talked about in the last episodes made for a better story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I, I think, yeah. Okay. So back to the moral, I think that the moral is don't be vain. Kindness will take you a lot further. Mm. But so I have a harder time. Because I understand what you're saying. In certain cases, I understand the evil perspective, quote unquote, evil perspective. In this situation, like, it really does seem like she's just vain and kind of threatened by this young girl, which is, I don't know that there's a positive spin there. (laughs) I I think, I think, again, vanity is a, a result of society telling you like yeah the the, you have to be young and yeah yeah and, I mean we see it and today. like we've and we've seen it forever like young, the way women are it's and, another yeah. it's another it's another way women are pitted against each other right like beauty yeah. is like a huge way in which women are pitted against each other so um I, you know what I also really find interesting is the fact that she disguises herself as like this old hag this old decrepit hag to give Snow White the apple. And I'm like, of course, witches are presented as like these old gnarly creatures. That's a whole other story. Yeah, that's a whole other story. There is a lot happening a in relation thing. to witches in uh, in medieval Europe and werewolves, apparently, mm-hmm. as I was reading today. Um, but yeah, we'll cool. get into that at another point, I guess. I'm, I'm yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. Without jumping to too many topics, this has been so great. I really, I love your take. I love the way that you present these stories. They're so good. And I love the amount (laughs) of knowledge that you have. I think you definitely have way more knowledge than me on this stuff. So I just like love listening to everything. I feel like I've (laughs) learned today. Yay! So it's so, so cool. Um, And I am very excited slash a little bit nervous uh, to get into the next topic that we have. But um, yeah, thank you so much for sharing all of this information on Snow White. Like, the more we keep going through these, the more I'm like, it's really changing my feelings and my relationship and with the idea of these stories. So it's really cool. And I'm, I'm super glad this is where we decided to start. I think it's like perfect. I think it's really cool to, to start with fairy tales because they're just the oral stories that kind of last and 
yeah. that are still being retold today, you know, much more innocent versions, a lot of but them, they're being retold. Yeah. And a lot of them seem very surface level to a degree from what we know. But like when you dive mm-hmm. in, they're really heavy. They, they cover a lot of like deep topics and different perspectives you can take them from and all that stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Super cool. All right. Well, next time we are going to be doing Little Red Riding Hood, which I am excited for. Yeah, this one's also I'm a doozy of a story. I'm excited for it. Yeah. It is. It's going to be cool. Yeah. And yeah. also gave me a new appreciation for her. Anyways. Okay. Yes. yes. So please come <laughs> back, join us for our retelling and our personal examinations of Little Red Riding Hood. And we hope you enjoyed today's retelling and uh, examinations of Snow White. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks, and guys. we will see you next time.